Welcome back. I'm Jeff MacArthur. Uh, here's a story that I was not expecting to read today. The city of Beijing announcing its first reported case of Omicron and Chinese officials, well, they're blaming us. They're blaming Canada. Why is that? Let's welcome in Dr. Gerald Evans from Queen's University. He joins us now for more on this and some other issues here on the radio this afternoon. Dr. Evans, good afternoon. Nice to have you back with us. Good afternoon, Jeff. Okay, Chinese officials allege that the Omicron virus may have traveled to Beijing through a piece of mail from Canada. This doctor has been and has been one of the top trending stories at globalnews.ca. Just how accurate is that? I mean, can Omicron, can this variant, can it travel through the mail? Uh, I would say it's virtually implausible. Uh, we know a lot about this virus. We know a lot about its ability to survive outside a person who's infected, outside a host. Uh, and it does not last a long time. And it certainly would not in any way survive a, you know, a mail trip uh, from Canada to China, which I, as I understand it, went through Hong Kong as a receiving place for the mail. So uh, this is just not a believable story. It doesn't fit with any of the science we know about SARS-CoV-2. All right. So people that are uh, reading this might be concerned about uh, their own mail. And I feel like we're kind of back at the beginning of the pandemic when there was a lot of concern about things like this, about mail and uh, going to get your groceries and washing your groceries when you first uh, came home. Those that read the story, they should not be concerned about their mail. No, not at all. This this virus does not survive a long time on, on surfaces and particularly those exposed to, you know, some potentially harsh environmental circumstances. Um, fomite transmission, certainly not very common with the early variants. Um, and even if you look at regular coronaviruses, which we've always dealt with, although there can be fomite transmission, that's considered to be fairly um, immediate and within close proximity, not some inanimate object that's traveled through a system for a few days or even perhaps a week or two. It's just not going to happen. And as we uh, now know, whether it's a uh, Delta or Omicron uh, now, I mean, this is an aerosol virus, right? This is a respiratory illness. This is primarily, for the most part, just uh, passed uh, through the air. Well, it, it's passed by close proximity. And so close proximity can include uh, contribution from um, short-range aerosols. Uh, it can uh, also be contributed to by contamination of inanimate surfaces and people that are close to it. So it's the close proximity part that's really, really important. And, and we know that that close proximity is the primary uh, mode that this uh, virus uh, transmits. Um, the contribution from something like an object, whether it be your grocery bag or, or some mail, is very, very small. And especially over time, there was a recent study that showed that even in aerosolized particles, the virus loses about 90% of its infectivity within 20 minutes. And the bulk of that occurs within the first five minutes. Joined by Dr. Gerald Evans from Queen's University. Dr. Evans also wanted to talk to you this afternoon about the uh, latest recommendation, if you will, or I guess the green light given by Health Canada to Pfizer's oral COVID pill. What can you tell us about this pill and just how important is this going to be moving forward? Well, uh, what I would say is it's another tool in our toolbox to deal with people who may be at risk for COVID and particularly those small numbers of people who can't be vaccinated uh, for, you know, what are 
really legitimate reasons for not being vaccinated or who we would expect vaccine might be suboptimal. And the, the drug was studied in people with mild to moderate COVID um, who were not vaccinated or only partially vaccinated. And the real aim was to look at its reduction in hospitalizations. And it, it did reduce hospitalizations between the two groups. The absolute difference was 6%. So the relative risk reduction, as has been quoted uh, often times, is somewhere between 85 and 90%. Okay, and this pill is it taken as I understand it, it should be started after a positive COVID test and within some five days a week from the onset of symptoms? Yeah, so the way the trial was designed is the patient had to have proven COVID. So that still continues to be a criterion. And that's a bit challenging now with testing limitations. And ideally it should be taken within three days, but could be taken within the five days of the onset of symptoms. So that's what was studied. That's what Health Canada data uh, looked at in terms of the data. And that's what the current recommendation is going out. So operationalizing this, of course, is going to be a little bit of a different issue. But primarily we know what the results are in the studied population. Um, more so than we would say for everybody. And I think it's important for everyone to understand if you're fully vaccinated, that gives you much better protection than any of these sort of post-infectious uh, interventions that we have, whether it be Paxlovid or some of the other medications. And when we talk about treatments, Dr. Evans, when we talk about vaccines and such uh, moving forward into 2022 and uh, beyond, uh, what does that look like, uh, the future? What is on the horizon here? I know I've seen a lot of talk about uh, perhaps a, a vaccine that might cover everything from COVID to, to the flu. Is that sort of where we're going, where we're headed? Yeah, well, we're certainly going to try and look for a vaccine that has sort of pan effectiveness against all coronaviruses, because as we saw with SARS in 2003 and now SARS-CoV-2 with COVID in 2019 into where we are presently, those are a particular group of viruses that we would like to have a universal vaccine for. So that's moving forward. Whether there's a role for variant-specific um, vaccines, like one for Omicron at the moment, because we know it dodges a little bit of that immunity that we got with the standard COVID-19 vaccine, I think is still worthwhile studying. But we are moving along. And I think it's really important that your listeners understand, you know, in January of 2022, we are in a much different place than we were in the spring of 2020. And back then, we saw a lot of morbidity and mortality because we didn't have vaccines. We didn't have a lot of these different medications and interventions that we know now know work. And so I think the mortality and morbidity from COVID-19 is clearly lower and different than it was way back at the beginning of the pandemic. All right. That certainly is some good news. People are also hoping for good news, Dr. Evans, when it comes to the peak, the peak of the Omicron wave. And do we have a sense where we are right now when it comes to the Omicron uh, variant? Uh, ha have we peaked? Uh, are we there? Is perhaps the worst behind us or do we just not know that yet? Well, if where I live here in Kingston is any sort of uh, clue to what's happening, we are definitely past our peak and uh, we are beginning a decline now in the number of cases that we're seeing regionally. And we're about, say, about seven days, perhaps 10 days ahead of the rest of the province. So my expectation is if the demographics and the conditions that we are seeing here in southeastern Ontario are applicable across the province, we may very well be at our peak at the moment and are going to begin to show a drop off in the number of cases. When that happens, we'll see a lot less absences. We'll see a lot, you know, a diminishment in hospitalizations. It'll be a bit slower, but it will happen. 
All right, there was talk as well, just finally from the uh, Premier earlier today, that uh, he said basically good news is on the horizon, good news is coming. So if we are seeing those numbers start to dip, if we are perhaps uh, through the peak of uh, Omicron, would you expect in the coming weeks, uh, I mean, we talk about the school in-class learning uh, resuming, although it's been put off a couple of more days because of uh, the snowstorm we've all been dealing with the last uh, day or two, but would you expect a, a lifting of uh, some of the restrictions that were put in place uh, if uh, current trends hold? Yeah, I would say so. I think that we would be looking to um, perhaps have some advice from the Chief Medical Officer of Health's office to the government about what they can do. I don't think we'll see a wholesale lifting of restrictions. I I don't think that's in the mix, but a careful, thoughtful, uh, and strategically aimed reduction in some of the measures that are there, um, I think will be helpful. The one thing about Ontario, our vaccination rates are very good. Where I am here in the Southeast, it's astronomically high for children, for people with third doses. And when we get to those kinds of metrics, I think that's going to help us quite a bit. All right. Can I ask you just uh, finally, when you talk about uh, removing those uh, restrictions in a very, uh, you know, measured and sensical uh, manner, what is, do you think, uh, the greatest risk uh, right now when we talk about uh, keeping the Omicron surge uh, down uh, moving forward? I mean, what is kind of the most riskiest of uh, behaviors or endeavors? Yeah, it's it's really any kind of thing which brings people together in a closed space in larger numbers. And so I think, you know, when we look at transmission events that occurred through 2021, they were primarily going to be in places where there's a lot of socialization, alcohol and no mass. So that's bars, nightclubs, to some extent, restaurants, of course. Um, And then you have to consider some uh, specific venues, gyms and and health facilities sometimes had issues as well. So there would have to be some limitation on numbers and a continuation of all of the measures in those places to reduce that transmission. Those are the key ones. And then, of course, large gatherings uh, that might occur around um, all kinds of things, whether they be weddings, funerals, etc. I think we have to continue to be very careful about those. All right, Dr. Evans, appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much for joining us on this Tuesday. Thanks for having me, Jeff. You bet. Dr. Gerald Evans is with Queen's University. I'm Jeff MacArthur. Stay with us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.